Amen. Thanks, Brad. Uh, good morning. Good morning to those of you who are here. Good morning to those of you who are online uh, joining us uh, live <clears throat> or uh, later. Good to see you. Uh, thank you for being here. A lot of places you could be, a lot of other things you could be doing than being here. So we're glad that you're here uh, instead of there. Uh, the scripture readings can be found, uh, they'll be on the screen behind me. They're also in the worship folder on this little insert. Uh, and so I would invite you to follow along uh, as I read through these. One from Galatians 5, a couple from Proverbs, and then uh, the main passage from James as we've been working through the book of James uh, through the lens of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so hear God's word. Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And then from James chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, as Brad referred to, uh, my name is Jonathan uh, Winfrey, one of the pastors here, Redeemer City. Uh, some might refer to me as a staff infection here, uh, depending on your perspective. Uh, those of you that don't know me, hopefully uh, you won't think that as you get to know me. Uh, but fun to be uh, with you this morning. And as we've been doing for the last few weeks, we've been looking at Christian character. Uh, the title of the series is Character in Crisis. Really what we're doing is looking at the fruit of the Spirit and why it's so needed in a time of crisis, in our time, really. Uh, but also looking at why this aspect of character is in crisis at this point in our history. So kind of that play on words uh, that has been uh, evident throughout uh, the series. One of our favorite things to say around here is the gospel is our curriculum. 
And by that we mean, among other things, that we're constantly being discipled by the gospel in every area of life, every nook and cranny of life, the gospel is sort of filtering down into and affecting, or at least should be, right? James, who was a pastor in the New Testament, and incidentally the half-brother of Jesus, is discipling us in this passage in speech, in the use of our tongue, in the use of our words. Very appropriate uh, for where we are at this particular juncture, right? Your character, the Bible says, comes through in how you use words. And so we're going to look at the fruit of kindness today. You see the title on the insert there. Uh, The backside of what I read uh, has the outline. It's kindness in a time of cruelty. So we're going to look at the, the virtue or the fruit of kindness. And kindness is a little different than some of the others, because you, you often, someone might say, someone might be willing to admit at least, yeah, I struggle with patience. I'm not a very patient person. But most people, if you ask them, do you consider yourself a kind person or a nice person? Most people aren't going to say, no, not really. I mean, if they do, you, you might want to find some new friends or something, because it doesn't sound like a very, well, nice person. Uh, but most people would say yes, right? We all consider ourselves, for the most part, nice, temperamentally kind, but how do we measure that, okay? What tools do we have? And the passage from James is clear. One of the chief ways that we evidence the fruit of kindness is with our words, with our mouths. And our mouths reveal what's in our hearts. So we get to the nitty-gritty real quick with this. And one of the major indicators of a supernaturally changed heart, a heart being cultivated by grace, a heart that is... uh, bearing and producing the fruit that we've been talking about is how you use words. Now, last week, we were in chapter 2, we looked at the passage uh, that James talks about faith needing to be active, needing to produce works, right? Otherwise, it's dead. And so, on the heels of that discussion, uh, he's going to take a practical application of that and say, your understanding of the tongue's place in the spiritual life and how you use it reveals much about your spiritual condition. And let's be honest, we live at a time in history that's unparalleled because never before in the history of the world have you had access to so many words instantly. Never before in history have you had the opportunity to get your words out to many, many people instantly. And many of us, first thing in the morning... Uh, check our phones for all the words we missed while we were asleep. Texts, emails, Facebook posts, tweets, snaps. If you're a teenager, the list goes on. Well, maybe if you're an older person too. I don't, my wife has Snapchat. Uh, I'll tell on her she's not here. Um, but uh, she, has, she has fun with it. And we all do. But the point is, our lives are full of words. But never before has the power of words and the need for a people that are distinctly marked by kindness, that is a wise use use of words, supernatural kindness, never before has that been more profound because the tongue can be cruel. And that makes our society cruel as well. Uh, It's been said, as you go through life, you're going to have many opportunities to keep your mouth shut. Take advantage of all of them. Right? Right? Remember earlier in the book uh, where James talks about chapter 1, verse 26, 27, uh, it's in there. Uh, 
pure and undefiled religion is this. And he says, if you can't bridle your tongue, then your religion is worthless, as well as caring for the orphan and the widow and keeping yourself unstained from the world. He says in that chapter as well, we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. He knew chapter three was coming. And this is the most intense and most kind of uh, concentrated in one passage, teaching on the tongue in the entire Bible. So let's jump in. First, uh, you look there at your outline. We're going to look at what kindness or what we've lost with kindness in our culture. Uh, Look at the Bible's teaching on the tongue. Uh, That's pretty sobering. And then uh, how do you get the power to become a person whose tongue is tamed? You have to experience the kindness of God appearing. Um, Those three things uh, in that order. And Listen, can I just say, uh, this is a very hard, it's sobering. And so there's a lot of negative things that I'm going to say. And I don't want it to come across as I'm yelling at you like I'm your grumpy old grandfather. Okay? The, 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 text, the text lends itself to being kind of negative, but there's a ray of hope. We will get to it because we all need rescue, right? As we find ourselves caught. That's the goal each week. Uh, by the way, if you are uh, new to Redeemer. So hopefully we, 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 we reach a crisis point where we feel our need, uh, and we'll, we'll get to that. But first, kindness lost, okay? The power of words for selfish means has really impoverished this virtue in our culture. We've all heard the statement, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And as one of my seminary professors always used to say, that's a lie from the pit of hell, and it smells like smoke. Because it is. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't come anywhere close to teaching that. Because in reality, the words from, uh, the wounds rather, from sticks and stones are far easier to heal than wounds and damage done by words. Words have a long shelf life. Just think about a conversation that maybe you've had or a person has told you about recently uh, with a loved one, with a family member, a powerful conversation, negatively or positively, but think negatively where they were really hurt by the words spoken to them. And it could have been 30 years ago, but they start weeping as they tell you the story, and it could have happened five minutes ago because words are powerful. The damage done takes uh, root. Harsh words really stick. Uh, I have the opportunity to participate in the the Jobs for Life program uh, in the South County Jail with the men down there, and the look on their faces when you begin to talk to them about what the Bible actually says about human beings from page one, that is, that we're made in the image of God, which means we have great dignity and value and worth, and these are people who have largely only ever been told in their life, you're worthless, you don't matter, you never get it right, you're always a screw up, you're a waste of space, And those words begin to sink in down like poison to these guys, and they believe them. So then you get in there with them, and you begin to say, actually, that's not true. Here's what's actually true, and you see this transformation on their faces. Because when used over and over to tear down, people can actually become torn down by words. Words can either have a life direction or a death direction. There are no neutral words. Did you hear that? There are no neutral words. Proverbs says that the tongue's power holds life and death. 
I mean, just stop for a minute, consider that statement. It's a pretty stark statement. Or if you're not into Proverbs, let me quote Albus Dumbledore, Harry Potter's mentor. Maybe you're more into Albus and his wisdom. He said, it's actually a very wise statement, words are our most inexhaustible form of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. Okay? It's true. But why? Why is this true of our words and our experience of them? Well, because, and if you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity, uh, let me. one of the distinctive things about Christianity is that our God is a speaking God. The whole idea of speaking originates from him because Genesis 1, the first page of the Bible, doesn't describe God doing a game of charades with Moses to, help, to try to figure out what it is he's doing. He's speaking using words to create. And then we learn we are made in God's image. The man names the animals in the garden with words. So one of the activities we do that's most God-like is talking. But on page three of the Bible, of course, we learn that the serpent spoke too, but his words weren't like God's words. They destroyed, they created doubt, deception, not truth and beauty. And all of us talk a lot. Some of us talk more than others, but we all talk all the time. Our days are filled with words, which means our days are filled with opportunities to be unkind. And we take those opportunities many times. If you think about a teenager's phone, and yes, I'm just picking on a teenager because I've, I've got two of them. Uh, how many texts are sent on an average teenager's phone in a 24-hour period? You don't want to know. I mean, they stopped printing that stuff with your cell phone bill a while back when they gave you unlimited data. Because when they used to, I lost my mind. Okay? How many Snapchat responses do they send and receive, usually always accompanied by words? I mean, hundreds, thousands. Our worlds and the ways we use words are full of trouble because we can be so unkind, so cruel, right? And our culture's not helping us, but it is instead enabling us. Uh, a Nigerian novelist, uh, his name is Ben Okri, he said this about words, and I, I just thought this was great, so I wanted to read it to you. He says, quote, It sometimes seems to me that our days are poisoned with too many words. Words said and not meant. Words said and meant. Words divorced from feeling, wounding words, words that hide, words that reduce, dead words. We seem to think that words aren't things. See, a bump on a head may pass away, but a cutting remark grows with the mind. But then again, maybe it's possible we all know too well the awesome power of words, which is why we use them with such deadly and accurate cruelty. You know what I'm talking about. You know, to say something like, oh, they just really push my buttons. How do they push your buttons? Because they say certain things that poke and prod and wound and damage. Today, at this present cultural moment, we find unkind words at the ready. And one thing Oakry goes on to say that I didn't quote there is, he says, if only we had some sort of chemical compound that visually or actually in real life landed. So think of your words as acid. And it's like if you used unkind words and they landed on the other person like sulfuric acid and you could actually see what they were doing, 
would you use them less? It's very sobering, right? And the questions are, how well do you disagree? Speaking of the podcast, I highly encourage you to to take a listen. How well do you disagree with someone who has different political views from you? you? You use words in a disagreement and in a conversation, right? How about different social values from you? If you're going through a divorce, how do you talk about your ex with your kids? If you leave one company to work for the competition, how do you describe the old company to the new bosses? The impersonal nature of the internet in particular and social media has amplified harsh and cruel speech. So people get behind a keyboard and they say things and they project things that they never would face to face, right? And humanity really didn't need any help with the problem. (laughs) But we have exponentially made it worse. So how does James describe the problem? Well, look at the passage there. Uh, Again, it's on that, that insert. Uh, and we're just going to walk through some pieces of it. It's very sobering. Uh, the Bible is very honest about the damage and danger of the tongue, the power of words, and the havoc they unleash as we see in our culture. And again, uh, those of you who are new or maybe not, don't even consider yourself a Christian, one of the things that is amazing about the Bible is its honesty. It's not, it doesn't sugarcoat life. And the people in the Bible are not paragons of virtue, many of them. They're failures, they're murderers, they're adulterers, they're liars. But of course, God is redeeming in the story all the way through with the whisper of Jesus' name over the top of it. Uh, And so, when the Bible talks about the tongue, it has some pretty sobering things to say. As I quoted already, life and death are in the power of the tongue. But also, the other proverb I quoted uh, there on the insert Rash, careless words can be like sword thrusts, wounding another person. Jesus says in the reading of the law, you look back in your worship folder, that we'll have to give an account for all the words of that sort, the careless, rash kind, that we spoke throughout our life on Judgment Day. Now, should we just pause and pray? I mean, I don't know about you, but I I read that every time I read that. And I read it numerous times this past week. Holy smokes. Oh, Father, please help us. Right, David describes in Psalm 140, uh, evil men, right? So basically you and I. uh, As those who make their tongues sharp as a serpent's and under their lips is the venom of asps. Ooh, that sounds nice. But... Go through the passage here. Verse 2. Verse 2, he says, We all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. The word is the same word he used back in chapter 1. It's a word for keeping in check, right? So what's one of the first things they do when you go to the doctor for a checkup? What do they tell you to stick out? Your tongue. Apparently, something about your health is revealed when the doctor puts that whatever that thing is, it's a very uncomfortable thing, uh, on your tongue and tells you to say, ah. So this passage, James is really saying to us, stick out your tongue, right? The Bible teaches that much of our spiritual health can be seen in our tongues. Jesus himself said in that uh, Matthew passage from earlier, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the abundance of the heart is whatever the heart is full of. So whatever your heart is full of, 
Your mouth is going to speak that. James says there's extraordinary power and influence concentrated in a very small object. Like the bit in a horse, like the rudder on a ship, or maybe a more contemporary example would be the processor in my Apple Watch. Okay, now you see how small this thing is, but there's a processor in it that's even smaller than this that is performing millions of operations every second. Or, I mean, take the iPhone 12 that's apparently like a supercomputer in, a, in something the size of this. Right? Its size is inversely proportional to the power it wields, like the tongue. Verse 5, James says, So the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The word is spark. Right? So... You know this, I know this, online misinformation, just a spark, how fast does it spread? Gossip, rumors, words used to tear down. The El Dorado fire out in California, which has now burned over 10,000 acres, they believe was started by a pyrotechnic device that a couple shot off at a gender reveal party. Okay? Just to give you some perspective, One couple of sparks into the air, 10,000 acres, gone. Right? It also seems like we enjoy the sensational, the untrue, the unkind. Maybe I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, right? Far more than the true and the kind. An example of this, two years ago, a study was done by social media researchers at MIT. And what they did was they studied and compiled about 125,000 tweets of different news stories. Uh, And what they found was that the false stories, the the ones with unsubstantiated claims, the the ones with trashing of reputations if it was celebrities or public officials or something like that, were retweeted far more and far uh, quicker, far faster than those who weren't. The, the, The amount of retweets that those things produced versus the boring, you know, true stories was like night and day. What's that reveal about the tongue? Well, one untruth, one unkind word, James says, can spark a spread like wildfire. Uh, Jonathan Swift, famous author of Gulliver's Travels, he said, falsehood flies and the truth comes limping after it. So that when men come to be undeceived, it's too late. The jest is over and the tale hath had its effect. So true, right? Social media proves the point. Keeping the tongue in check is really hard, and it's amplified the ability to share and spread unkindness exponentially. But go on. Look at verse 6. I told you this is going to be hard, this, this whole little section here. So just stay with me, right? Be patient. It's coming. The good news, that is. Perhaps no other member of the body can wreak so much havoc on a life. James says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell itself. The extent and source of the devastation the tongue can produce is set on fire by hell itself. Now get this, listen. He's saying that the destructive potential in the tongue comes from Satan. Because the word he uses is that it's a fire sourced by the smelly trash pile of Gehenna, which is the word Jesus used repeatedly to refer to hell. And it was 
the valley outside of Jerusalem where they burned the trash, including human corpses. And James is saying, that's the source, the seedbed of the corruption potential that the tongue has. Now, no, none of us would argue that sexual sin, murder, rape are utterly depraved sins. We, 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 you know, we wince at those. But we often are unaffected and even participate in gossip, slander, half-truths, sarcastic put-downs. Yes, guilty. Right? James goes on in verse 8, he says, the tongue is a restless evil full of poison. And I want to read you a, comment, uh, a comment that one commentator makes on this passage I found was really helpful. He says, the tongue can be often quick to defend itself, swift to attack, anxious to subdue. It mimics Satan in this respect, who can never settle. He roams to and fro throughout the earth, as you see in the book of Job, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the tongue, too, shares that tendency. It has an inbuilt need to guard its own territory, destroy rivals to be the king. And we see this tendency, don't we, on the internet, but even in our own selves and in our conversations, particularly with those with whom we have disagreements at times, we see it daily. Maybe you've found yourself sucked into an argument on Facebook or Twitter, or you've read arguments on those platforms. And some of the things that people say, as they are so quick to defend, swift to attack, anxious to subdue, guard their territory, Full disclosure, I'm often sent articles from friends, articles about issues in the church or in culture, and if I don't agree with them, and I know ahead of time, based on who sends it to me, or who the author is, or the website it comes from, I'm already, I'm on the first three words. It could be a five-page article, and I'm already formulating my defense. I'm already thinking all the words that if I could see this person in, you know, the flesh, how I would rip up what they're saying. It's the dumbest thing. It's the stupidest argument I've ever... This, what, what are you talking? What an idiot. Those kinds of things going on through my head. Ready to defend, ready to prove wrong, ready to guard my point of view. I can feel my restlessness. That's the point. My blood pressure going up. Anyone else? Just me. Okay, that makes me feel better. Uh... I'm awful, that just reinforces what everybody knows anyway, right? But that's the restless evil, the full of poison, right? Lastly, James says, beginning in verse 9 to the end of the passage, part of the reason the tongue is so hard to tame or control is its doubleness. One of the early church fathers, his name was Philo, and he said this. He said, if you blow on a spark, it will glow. If you spit on it, it will go out, and both come from your mouth. I just thought, wow, that, that's, that's really helpful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that. And we just got the opportunity to do a few days on the Appalachian Trail, and uh, the first night, it's very windy. And so the guys who know how to do these things, so the young guys, were trying to start a fire. And they're blowing on it, blowing on it, blowing on it, and, you know, poof, a little bit of, you know, oh, put some put some uh, straw or, uh, or uh, 
leaves and kindling and a few logs on there and say, and then it, and then the wind would blow it, right? That, it's, this, it's the same idea. The same tongue that can be singing praise to God in a worship service one minute can be cursing the person in the car who cuts them off on the road in front of the church where the worship service was held. All within a matter of minutes. Anyone else? Uh-huh. I, I have, I've done this. And until they fix the road out here with all these barrels and everything, I'm going to probably continue to do it. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm cursing the DOT every time. You know, hurry up, hurry up, right? As I've been in there, Jesus, oh, you're so beautiful. You know, and, and then I'm cursing the people who are made in God's image. Right? We're caught. Being double-tongued means full of guile, deceptive, duplicitous, dishonest, or, as we used to say in my junior high days, two-faced. He's so two-faced. She's so two-faced. We are a culture full of this. We see it in our politicians. We see it in our Christian leaders. We see it in ourselves. Rather, though, the doubleness that is a mark of the Spirit, there is a doubleness that the tongue can do that only comes through the power of the Spirit And it is the ability to know when to speak, when not to speak, when more words are needed, when no words are needed. So how do you become a person like that? If Christians approach their conversations more like that, if they approached and used social media like that, we have great opportunity in front of us. Might the weeds of cruelty die out because they get choked out by our kindness? And that's where I want to finish. If you look back at verse 8, I told you, stark reality, it's very sobering. But in verse 8, there's a ray of hope. Do you see it? uh, Verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. But what if there was someone who wasn't just human? What if there was someone who was human and had supernatural resources at his disposal? And of course, I'm talking about Jesus Christ who tamed his tongue, who only used it for good. It wasn't a restless evil in his mouth. He blessed his father in heaven with it. He was kind to the ungrateful and the evil around him. We recently read uh, in community Bible reading, our our church's uh, program where we read one Old Testament chapter, one New Testament chapter. We just finished the Gospel of Mark. And at the end of the Gospel of Mark in chapter 15, as Jesus is on trial, he goes to see Pilate. Pilate asks him a question. He responds. Pilate goes back out. The people are saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he's saying, here's your chance. And verse 5 of Mark 15 says, but Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Right? That's the power we have to produce amazement. Isaiah 53, famous uh, passage from the prophet says, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth. And here's the reason. He was silent because of every word that has proceeded from my lips. Because of every word that provides adequate reason for God to damn me for all eternity, because I've cursed him and his image bearers, especially the ones who are messing up my road. The Lord Jesus came into the world to bear the judgment of God against the sin of my tongue, of your tongue, And when he stood before the high priest in the judgment seat of Pontius Pilate, he accepted a sentence of guilt. He did not defend himself. 
But the sentence of guilt, of course, was my guilt. It was your guilt. He bore in his body on the tree the sins of my lips and my tongue. If you look back at the assurance of pardon that Brad read earlier, Jesus Christ was and is the goodness and loving kindness of God appearing in the flesh. He lived by every word that proceeded from God the Father's mouth. He is the word of God come from heaven. And Paul says to Titus, it's only by the washing and renewal, regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit that our tongues can become full of kindness instead of poison. The Spirit will enable us to live as Paul tells Titus in the previous verses of chapter 3. Listen to this, this description. Does it not make you long to be this way or for this kind of a person? Submissive to rulers, obedient, ready for every good work, speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling, gentle, which we'll talk about next week, showing perfect courtesy toward all people. Wow. The gospel doesn't say that you'll get a tongue transplant. But it does say that coming to faith in Jesus Christ results in a heart transplant. A heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. A hard heart becomes a soft heart. A new heart results in a transformed tongue. A heart captivated by the beauty of Jesus and transformed by the Holy Spirit will speak peace, encouragement, hope, love, unity. Who doesn't want to be spoken to with peace and encouragement and unity and love? I mean, if you don't, there's something deeper wrong with you. We need to go have a separate conversation. Those are things that our culture desperately needs as well, friends. And you, you can say them on Facebook and put that into the whatever that is, cloud. Or you can say them face-to-face over coffee at Starbucks. See, if I'm united to Jesus by faith, if I'm being renewed by the Spirit, God has given me everything I need for the difficult conversation that I've got to have with my husband or my wife. He's given me everything I need to deal with the rebellious teenager in a way that reflects God's transforming grace. He's given me everything I need to talk to that irritable boss who I just can't seem to please, no matter how hard I work. He's given me everything I need to deal in graciousness and love with the neighbor that I have who seems more concerned with boundaries than relationships. He's given me everything I need to have a difficult conversation with the person who has betrayed me. Everything I need. And in Christ, as I look to him, I get the power and the freedom to talk in his way. So, through the power of the Spirit, I actually gain a new accent. It's a Jesus-like accent. And maybe it has more to do with what people say about us when we leave the room than what we say while we're in the room. Pilate asked uh, about Jesus, and, and this will be what they'll ask about us. Where are they from? Jesus, Jesus, it got to the point where Jesus, Pilate finally looked at him and just said, where are you from? Our accent will give us away. Much like a, a British tourist in Florida or a native New Yorker, right? Somebody with really strong, distinctive accent, you know, immediately where they're from. And with our Jesus-like accent, they'll know. I want, I, I want to finish with these descriptions. I, Joe's going to put them up on the, the screen. And these are descriptions of people that are cultivated by the fruit of the Spirit, by grace, displaying the spirit of kindness. From 2 Timothy 2, right? Imagine a group of people characterized by these traits. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, 
uh, but kind to everyone. I'm squinting because it's way back there and I don't have it printed in front of me. That's my bad. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Holy smokes. What would that be like, right? God may perhaps grant from them uh, repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Um, that's much longer, so I'm going to pull that one up from Luke. And this is, uh, this is where I'll finish. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And then verse 35 and 36 Love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Can you imagine a group of people who were kind to the ungrateful when they were met with ungratefulness or evil that they didn't return but they shot words of beauty and truth, words of encouragement, words of gentleness, words of courtesy. Only the Spirit can do that. So let's pray and ask that God would do that among us uh, now uh, and always. Oh, Father, we desperately need uh, to tap in (laughs) to the truth of the transformation of our hearts that's possible only through the gospel only through faith in the one uh, who opened not his mouth, but like a lamb led to the slaughter, uh, offered his body up, uh, took our sentence of guilt so that we might be free, free to talk in his way. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you now give us an accent, a different way of talking that comes from you. And it only comes out of the abundance of the good things that you're now putting into our hearts as we unite and tie ourselves off to your wonder and grace. Continue to do that, we pray. Continue to help us as your people, particularly in this time, to display this amazing character trait and to use our tongues to bless uh, and produce amazement in those who don't know you, that they might wonder, where are you from? And then we get to tell them. So do that, we pray, for your honor and your glory among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Amen. So each week you get a benediction, uh, and that's from two Latin words that mean good word. So receive these good words, uh, these words that go with you. Uh, Hopefully they sink well down into the depths of your soul so that by the Spirit's power, your tongue Our tongues are being tamed to produce uh, beautiful works of love, encouragement, righteousness, all of that, all all that amazing stuff that you want to be, that's attractive, uh, that will change the world uh, if God's people are that way. So let's uh, receive these words and, and may he produce this in us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.